Hello and welcome to this edition of uh, Making Better Things and Making Things Better. Um, it's a really interesting one this is. It's a bit noisy to start off with because I'm in a cafe with, with Anna Jones, um, who is one of my all-time favourite chefs. And we talk about food and we talk about, more importantly, we talk about how food makes you feel and we talk about how what you eat is just so much more important than than just the nutrition which is equally important but how food is is as much about kindness is as much about community and in many ways is as much about identity as it is about nutrition and i don't mean identifying yourself with a particular sort of like food habit i mean working out who you are with food um, this this podcast kind of we ran out of um, ran out of SD card space kind of halfway through it, and um, and so we missed out a little bit where we were talking about Anna using food to kind of refine herself after after having having a baby and 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 you know I think that happens a lot you know for me changing my diet a few years ago um, and, and eating less uh, meat. Um, kind of made me forget who I was a little bit. And that sounds crazy because because I was the same person, but I'd spent so long Instagramming this, you know, slow-cured, hand-butchered kind of meat-eater that when that went, I, I kind of didn't know what I was. Um, and this is, like, minor compared to the life changes that are involved, you know, when you, when you, when you reproduce. Um, and... It's just a really fascinating point, actually, um, about how how we, we become very tribal and how people become very threatened by the way you eat, if it's different to the way they eat. So that some of that came out of it. And as I say, please forgive the noise first up. It does settle down. Um, Anna is an incredible chef. Uh, she writes in The Guardian every weekend. She writes a, a great vegetarian column in The Guardian. And her book, um, The Modern Cook's Year, is one of my uh, favourite books. In fact, she's, she's written three brilliant books, all of which are well-thumbed and the spine has broken on at least two of them. So have a listen, enjoy, and um, yeah, talk to you soon. So I'm sat in, I would have called this, about 20 years ago, I would have called this slightly dodgy hackney <laughs> and now it's slightly gorgeous hackney and yeah I'm, I'm sat with anna jones who amongst other things is author of a modern way to eat and a modern way to cook and if i'm honest is the reason that i don't eat animals very often if at all <laughs> my daughter um read a modern way to eat and, uh, and convince everyone in the family to give up eating meat and then became vegan and uh, and I was pretty much the last one to, to go. I, d- I didn't know oh, that yeah. it was such a direct thing, that's amazing. It's totally your fault. Oh my god. <laughs> and, and, I, and I mean that in the most loving way possible because um, when you eat less harm, you feel better. Yeah. And and that, that and I still don't get me wrong. I still mm. crave meat. Mm. If I really mm. want it, I will mm. really mm. eat it. Mm. I try to kill what I eat, but um, yeah, no, you've made our lives infinitely better. So thank you, Aww. Anna Jones. That is amazing to hear. Thank you. So tell me about yourself. So I am a vegetarian cook, 
chef, I guess. I'm never quite sure which one, which label to use, but a um, bit of both. And I write about food. So I write cookbooks um, that kind of put vegetables at the centre of the table and kind of shout about the joy of them and the, um, yeah, the deliciousness of them and, and, and kind of try and talk about vegetarianism and veganism from that perspective. Um, I write a column in The Guardian every week, which kind of is along, along the same lines, kind of moving with the seasons through the year. Um, I'm a mum got a little two-year-old um, so I'm learning all about that and I have been asking Mark his advice being okay. the uh, veteran of, of, of four amazing children so yeah that's me. Tell me about your childhood. So my childhood was pretty pretty dreamy I would say. Um, I come from a sort of bit of a funny parental situation I guess my dad is from this enormous family he's got 12 brothers and sisters so we've got kind of over over 30 first cousins so this mad massive brummy family on my dad's side and my, one, of 12. one of 12 so this enormous enormous crazy bonkers family situation and then my mum is an only child from a from an Irish Catholic family um, well, that in itself is quite <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they they flip things around, um, and so yeah. I've but but I have these very passionate, very loving parents who um, kind of have encouraged me to kind of be the human I want to be before anything else. Um, and I think that has kind of given me a massive amount of freedom to follow the path I wanted to follow. So it was it, it was a pretty pretty great childhood um, you know I grew up just outside London went was in Birmingham for a bit in San, San Francisco for a bit um, yeah I guess sort of pretty liberal um, pretty and just really loving fiercely loving actually um, and uh, yeah do you know what if there's one thing that I'm going to remember from this conversation it's the whole concept of fierce love yeah because I, I it, that's brilliant <laughs> to love fiercely I'm absolutely obsessed with the words fierce grace it's apparently a yoga studio but it is yeah but I really like that whole idea of graceful fierceness or ferocity of, of grace and fierce love is how I feel about my kids mm. my wife and and as a parent, you see often, um, I want to call it average love, love that doesn't feel pointed or, or meant in any way. Um, it's just love because they're a sibling. Mm. It's not the application of love, it's the fact that it's, it's like background love, mm. like shit music at a different <laughs> So you see the David Gray of love mm. in mm. many mm. families. Mm. And actually I prefer to see the punk of love or, yeah. the, or the grime of love. So did you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I've got a brother and a sister. One is definitely the punk of love. He's, you know, he's the tattoos, he's the, you know, veganism, he's the kind of... Um, younger or older pro prog rock younger and then I've got a, another younger sister as well who's a music video producer lives over in LA um, we, we kind of grew up like twins basically we kind of we think each other's thoughts we feel each other's feelings we kind of know things have happened for each other before they have and she's over on the other side of the world so that's um it's bloody hard her not being here actually but it, it, you must miss her desperately yeah I do yeah and has she got a family over there? No, she's got she's got a boyfriend. 
But yeah, I think it's almost, I miss her so much, I can't admit that I miss her because I almost just have to hold it together, you know? It's, it, it's kind of like, even though she's there, she's not there, and it does feel like a massive loss, but also I feel like t to love her as much as I do, she wasn't happy when she was living here in London. She's happy over there. She's got this incredible boyfriend. She's got this incredible life. She loves LA. So it's that fierce love. It doesn't feel, half of it feels fucking shit, but half of it feels fucking great because she's happy, you know? And I think that's, you know, yeah. That's all you can want for the people that mm, you care mm, about. There's mm. that, I mean, I'm not, I love the police, but I was not a massive Sting fan, but was that song, if you love someone, set them free. Yeah. And, and, and to, to look at somebody happy is the, mm, mm. Is, is the ultimate, isn't it? In, yeah, in, in it is. It is. And it's, you know, it's bloody hard to not be fucking selfish. <laughs> like, I want you here. I want, you know, I want you to be there seeing my son or I want you to be, you know, there to go out for dinner with or, you know, to fucking babysit from time to time. <laughs> Whatever it is that you need from someone or that you want from someone or that connection. But, yeah, I think it's... Um, yeah, it definitely asked me to dig to my very deepest reserves to be okay with, you know, the people you love the most not being not being there. It's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. I remember a long time ago we almost moved to um, to New Zealand and, and the impact that would have had on the family would have felt really harsh. I mean, it's not yeah. why we didn't go, but it's one of the reasons why we didn't go. Mm. And, um, and I guess in many ways technology has solved some of that, mm. but you can't get a hug from Skype. Just mm, can't. Mm. So we can't solve it. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's amazing. Like my friends who I are exactly that, just friends. I feel like you know I maintain like a good friendship with them via Skype. But this kind of you know, my sister will always be there. We'll always have that connection, and it will always wherever we are. You know, I feel like we're bound together on some deep level that I have no explanation for. Um, but yeah, it's like I've. I kind of lost my train of thought. Okay. No, no, this is good. There is, like, there is mm, no plan mm, for these. Mm, mm, like, mm. I don't have a set of questions. Yeah. So I haven't even thought about what I'm going to say to you until we sat down. Um, but I'm really interested in growing up. I'm really interested in the kind of kid that you were, what you did when you weren't being at school, and what, what you... Where did this... Where did the seed of your career come from, and who watered it? Well, I think... Yeah, it's really funny actually because I everyone assumes that as a cook you've kind of grown up with, you know, your these kind of like inherited family recipes, your grandmother teaching you to make scones or pasta or, you know, dumplings or whatever it is. And you've stood there and you've stirred your mum's jam pan, you know, up on a little stool and that absolutely wasn't the case with me. My mum was part of a generation of women who were just, you know, I think she felt like having to cook the family dinner every night was an infringement on her liberty, you know, it was kind of like 80s kind of like power suit time and, and so she didn't, you know, she didn't want that as part of her life. Which, which of course it um, is, yeah, actually. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, you know, Dad was out of work, but I think she actually resented that kind of... So cooking, she had quite a funny relationship with cooking and, and, and with producing our family meals. I mean, she always fed us, like, vibrant, nutritious food, but it wasn't something that was enjoyed or lamented over. Um, so it's quite funny that I kind of came back around to cooking, but I think what my mum did amazingly well was she kind of saw... My mum's brilliantly kind of creative across the board and she saw this little seed in me that I loved, you know, 
making a fruit salad and bloody arranging kiwi fruits on top of it or whatever it was. And so she furnished me with the things I needed. So she bought me the bloody Jane Asher baking book and all these little kids' cookbooks. And then she, from a very young age, um, bought me the ingredients and allowed me to cook the family dinners. So from a really young age, from kind of 11 or 12, I had this incredible... I was cooking much earlier than that, but it was, you know, the cupcakes and whatever else. But from that age, I actually started cooking the family dinners and I felt this incredible... Um, yeah, I, I got addicted to the joy of this thing, of, like, putting food on the table and people, you know, ooing and aahing and cooing and, 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 and you know, just feeding them on this very primal level which was about the food I was giving them but it was also about the experience I was giving them. Um, I'm going to stop you there because that is fucking fascinating <laughs> <coughs> and I understand this really well and I'm really fascinated in the distinction or the, the interplay between the joy of giving and feeding and nourishing and then the ego boost it gives you. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say the cook. Mm -hmm, I prefer the word cook mm -hmm, to chef. Mm -hmm, mm. but, but there's something in this for you as well. Mm. What did you take from that? Um, I think it was definitely a way of having some voice, some value in the family, you know, I, th I don't think I have ever been the sort of person who is ready and happy to stand up and tell people my opinion on things, I think that, that, that side of my voice has never been kind of that loud and I think it's come across in my books that I, I want to lead with the food, I want the food to persuade people and so I think that was, um, I think it, it, it has become my medium of kind of like communicating um, and and showing love not that it was you know we said I love you every five seconds in my family it wasn't it, it wasn't for a lack of the need to, you know, or ability to do that I think it was more just um, yeah I think it was more just like a, a validation of like connection and and an offering that I could give um, and I've, I've always been fascinated by that, actually, because so many creative things are like a work of art or there's something that you hang on a, or hang on a wall or a song exists for however long, you know, if it's recorded. But I always think that there's something quite special about food and that, you know, you make it and it's gone. Um, so, so it's very much a moment. Um, it's really interesting. So I'm getting this image of the young Anna writing love letters with food. Yes, right? You know, literally edible kisses. Okay? <laughs> and the transience of that. The, Im the impossibility of keeping that alive longer than a memory is, is like deeply sad mm. and beautiful. I'm really zen. It's like mm, that's mm, really like, mm, like mm, now mm, in in the in the moment. Yeah. And I always, when I hear you talk, when I read your words, I find it interesting to hear that you didn't have a voice because I think you're now an amazing voice. Out there. But I'm always struck by the 
almost yogic or zen-like way that you speak and write. And that's probably something you don't even see yourself. <laughs> My life doesn't feel very yogic, I'll tell you, you that. <laughs> it won't. But do you, do you meditate? Do you do a bit of yoga? Do you... Yeah, I do. Well, traditionally, I have done definitely less since my son was born. Um, but yeah, I do. I um, do like a for about the last sort of six years or so, much more on and off recently. But I've done like a Kriya yoga, um, a little meditation every morning for like 20 minutes. Like a Kundalini Kriya, as in like Kundalini Yeah, kind of. It's based on this. Um, sort of Isha yoga which is so ISHA um, it's this incredible Indian dude called Sadhguru who's a brilliant visionary thinker he's kind of a guru that swears rides motorbikes like doesn't give a shit about like religion or like, any like <laughs> yeah tells people not to bow at his feet all of that stuff I mean he's an incredible an incredible force who I've been lucky enough to meet like, a number of times and cook for actually which was one of the highlights um, and yeah, that has definitely grounded me in in something in myself, and it's given me something I can't quite put into words. I think the only thing that I can definitely say about it is it's given me a little bit of space and space between my thoughts and my reactions. And when I don't do it, that's what I realise goes. Um, and I think you know it. I can definitely feel it in my writing when I haven't done it for a long time. The kind of just the yeah, the, the words don't come as easily. That's really interesting. Mm. Mm. Loads in here that I want to try and unpick. So, firstly, what's it like cooking for somebody that you admire so much? Well, for him, it was it was. It was major. I was I was very very nervous. Like I mean, I've I've cooked for some amazing people. I cooked for Barack Obama, the G20. You know. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I cooked for you know it was all, all you know with some other chefs I was doing. It wasn't kind of my name on the headline, but you know you're still there giving Barack Obama his dinner. So if it, you wanted <laughs> to spit in his soup, you could have yeah. done, you? Um, and you know the royalty and all sorts of stuff like that but he was definitely the person who I respect the most and you know I was I was shaking in the was kitchen. Because I mean when I do a presentation I'm I don't look nervous but mm. I am. Yeah. Do you get nervous before you come? You know what I d I find talking weirdly much easier than cooking. I find the cooking you know, if I'm cooking for ten people, it's fine. If I'm, if when I was cooking for him, I was very, very nervous, just because I respect him and his views, and he's never said anything that I didn't think was totally on point. So for me, this had to be the best plate of food I've offered up, um, or I've ever offered up. And I know that I have these perfectionist tendencies, which I think drive me. I think they make me incredibly ambitious. I think they make my work the highest quality that it can be but I think sometimes those perfectionist tendencies can hold me back a bit especially in those situations where I think you just have to have some knowing and confidence in what you do um, and, and, and to, to know that you're you know once you've got into a situation you've been put there for a reason you've just got to trust that. That's really interesting. What did you cook from? So it was breakfast actually, so I cooked like a whole big array of different things. He, he because he's like an Indian guru, there's a lot of things he doesn't eat, obviously meat, but you know, onions, garlic, a lot of things that kind of are supposed to send your 
energy levels and your prana off. So I think we did some like little banana hot cakes. I think I did some idli because he's South Indian and I wanted to do some stuff that um, relates to him. I did a big beautiful fruit salad. It was the height of the summer so all the British um, fruits, cherries, elderflowers all over the top. Um, I did loads and loads of different fresh juices. Um, yeah, just a feast. It was immense. Was it the best meal you've ever cooked? I mean, it was definitely up there. It was definitely up there. I think that was one of the times I fell foul to my own nervousness, which hasn't happened that many times actually, but that was one. I had another howler recently actually on a, on the food program where I was cooking for... Um, like, no, 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 on the food program on Radio, Radio 4, 4 yeah, where yeah. I was cooking for Sheila Dillon, who yeah. legend of the food world. Um, Giorgio Locatelli, Angela Hartnett, Nigel Slater, um, and Ottolenghi, I mean all my fucking heroes at one table and we all had to like bring a dish in a really casual, just bring a dish along to this casual dinner party um, and uh, the, the nerves got the better of me then as well, I definitely didn't produce my best work but um, you know what, I actually felt just, uh, you've, you've got to fuck things up sometimes haven't you? Yeah, and you've no got to be okay with fucking things up sometimes. And were they okay with it all? I mean, they were great. Yeah, they were. They 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 ate my they ate my slightly burnt tart that had been in the oven for too long because I was too busy chatting and trying to impress everyone with my stories. Um, uh, yeah, they they ate it with the most grace and beautiful comments ever. It was on radio, thankfully, so no one knew any different until now. <laughs> That's brilliant, that is. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, I love this, this, I've got this in my head, this um, cartoon image of Anna having a thought, stopping the thought, and creating the gap between the thought, and then writing or speaking the thought in a slightly different, maybe, maybe not, mm -hmm. way. And, and I love the fact that there's some kind of meditation or yogi sort of stuff in there. So my, my question is, that, that, that's a really powerful image. And to my mind, meditation does create those gaps, however they be, within words, between words, or within the day. I'm guessing two-year-old, mm -hmm. the challenge you've got is, is fitting it in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it strikes me that the benefits of doing it are so huge mm -hmm. that you've mm -hmm. got to fit in. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do when you leave here and, and are you going to, you need to start again, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've, I've got to start again. And I, I do do it from time to time. I, I think, um, you know, having a kid has put pressure on everything in my life in ways I, like, I, I didn't expect it to. You know, I expected myself to be this earth mother, to wrap him in a little pashmina and to pop off to Burma and go backpacking, you know. And, <laughs> you can't tell anyone until they've had a kid. I, I agree. No, we've the same thing four times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I, and I think uh, part of my character means that I will, and, and especially part of your job as a mum is to put other people first, and part of your job as a dad is as well. And I think I'm just coming round to the realization now that if I don't put myself first, you know the cracks are going to start to form so so yeah it's it's pertinent you should say that actually because that's that that's exactly the space I'm in right now just trying to carve out some time to do the things that um, have fallen away and what I've found is 
when I can't for time out to do it. I haven't meditated properly for about a month now. But I, I, I did day. see that you had a huge streak. Massive streak. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a, I was on a yoga streak and that's mm. fallen away as well because I've been busy and I'm busy and I'm really involved and I'm really fucking busy. And of course, everything gets worse when it stops. Yeah. But I find that when I make the time to do it, Time opens up in the day, yeah. and I get that time back with interest a little bit yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. So it is important that you do it, and mm. it is important that you look after you, because if you don't look after you, then you can't look after him. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm really fascinated by is your partner. Mm-hmm. John. John. Yeah. Do you ever let John cook? Oh yeah, all the time. John's an amazing cook. Yeah. He's an amazing cook. He's very much, he's got his like sort of like 20 meals that he likes and he, he cooks those on repeat and he's, he's quite a, he's quite a scientific like formulaic brain whereas mine is the absolute opposite of that. So, um, he, yeah, he's a brilliant cook and actually when, when Dylan arrived he massively took the reins for about six months he did all the cooking. Um, so yeah, he, I think I think his confidence to freestyle since we've been in a partnership, which is quite a long time now, eight years or so, has definitely <laughs> reduced. But he's he does lots of things better than me. He poaches eggs better than me. He makes curries better than me. He makes stir fries better than me. I'm sure in a past life, John was like he, he was like the chef in an ashram or something because he makes this sort of temple curry sort of food. Like no one else. Do you want to know the secret of the poached eggs? <laughs> well, I can't believe I'm actually telling one of my food heroes. Like, poached eggs. Like, the people over fucking complicate it. Mm. No swirls, no vinegar, yeah. no pouches, yeah. shallow. Fresh eggs, yeah. shallow water, boil it, take it off the boil, crack them in, fucking leave them alone. This is, this is John's approach. And he's right. <laughs> I am the most zen poached egg chef ever. I might fuck up lots of other <laughs> But I'm interested because I, I used to cook most of the food in our house until we shifted to a plant-based diet. And, and, I'm, and I'm less good with that, right? Mm-hmm. More importantly, Nicola's way better at it than mm-hmm. me. It's, not, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, so I stopped cooking and I lost a bit of me. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like Voldemort giving a horcrux to somebody. I felt like a little bit of me. Mm-hmm. I'd been lost. And this was this is about ego. Mm. So I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't Instagram the fourteen hour slow smoked at hundred and ten degrees piece of pig leg. Um, I couldn't Instagram that, so therefore yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. And therefore no one could say, Oh, you're a great cook. Mm. So I didn't feel mm. like I was a great cook. Mm. And that's pure ego and shadow and, and, and I'm aware of the dangers of that. When you had Dylan and you kind of stopped doing that was there a change in the way that you viewed yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I really started to question whether I could cook or not. Which is, you know, when you look at it on paper, it's, fu- it's fucking dark. So I'm not sure if we're swearing in this, but I'm swearing anyway. Um, so I, um, yeah, you know, I've been, I, I, I'd been cooking at that point for 14 years, day in, day out in a professional kitchen. You know, I mean, I never use a recipe, things just come out of my head. Of course I could bloody cook. But, you know, having not done it for six months, I really, really, really questioned myself. And actually having had a few conversations with other cooks, other mums who were just taken out of, you know, what they do, they had a very, very similar experience. And I think this this thing of having a child, of you know, that was my 
my version of this, but I'm sure lots of other experiences can have the same thing for other people. But for me, like the the birth, the having a child, it kind of, it just kind of, I don't know, it shook me to my core, like whether it's chakras, whether it's kundalini, whether it's whatever, it kind of like, it shook me up so hard, I had to almost relearn like who I was again. Tell me about vegetables. Tell me why vegetables should be the center of things. Well, I believe food should be the centre of things. I, for, for me, my life and my being and my family, food is always the centre. And, um, you know, I believe, as I know you do, that we uh, desperately, as, a, as people, as humans, as souls, as a race, need to put you know, vegetables at the center of what we're eating, otherwise we're gonna be in some serious, serious trouble. I also, so, so, so that's kind of like what underpins it all for me, but I, I just fucking love vegetables. I love them. Um, you know, I remember doing an interview a while back, well before I did any of this, and someone sort of asked me, you know, what's your, what's the favorite thing in your house? And I said, the broccoli, and it was, you know, I felt like a right moron because it was, <laughs> geeky answer but it was you know at the time that was what I was all about I was cooking this sticky delicious kind of soy sauce chili broccoli every night and it was kind of what kind of got me through my boring day at work and then got me home and you know I was that that's what lit me up um and I think it's you know vegetables do that for me and 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 fruits and 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 you know things that come from nature in general whether it's kind of like that spritz of lemony oil when you zest a lemon or whether it's that mad stripy candy cane beetroot when you cut inside of it or whether it's the bloody brilliance of cutting into a blood orange and seeing this you know just crazy kind of you know tequila sunrise sort of color situation but it's all fucking natural it's all you know and and i think as a Londoner, as someone who's surrounded by city, it's those, it's vegetables and it's fruits that are my kind of grounding, they're kind of my connection with nature. And so, so much is happening when I'm cooking a meal, I'm making food for the people I love, but I, I, I'm doing those tasks which are repetitive, meditative, I'm getting that chunk of peacefulness in that I don't have in the rest of my day. And I'm also connecting, you know, with the, the earth, with the primal stuff. Way you speak, that was that was poetic beyond words. And I'm pretty certain if you describe, if you asked anyone to describe an orange, they would not have used those words. <laughs> if you'd have asked anyone to describe, um, was it a beetroot? You talked about the candy stripes. Yeah. They wouldn't have used those words. So, like your love for what you do is is huge. I can, I can feel that. What I hadn't appreciated was your love for nature and the diversity and variation in the in the food that you're, you're using as a remedy for maybe, <clears throat> these are my words, I'm putting it to your mouth, a lack of excitement in, in, in people's diets normally. Yeah, yeah. We get 95% of our calories from 30 crops. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's loony, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it is fucking depressing. When there is this world of brilliance out there to not to not be capitalizing on it and that's always been my kind of approach to cooking to nutrition to you know food in general you know it's like you know putting all your money on one horse you're not going to do it are you you know if you if you if you want to 
keep a bit of your money you're going to put a little bit on all of them and it's the yeah. same in eating fruits and vegetables and grains and pulses and everything I feel like if I if I'm betting on every horse in the race I'm getting all the vitamins I'm getting all the minerals I'm getting all the nutrients I'm getting you know and and and, and doing that kind of like in kind of a rhythm with the seasons just seems to me just common sense you don't need to start worrying about your spirulina or your maca powder or whatever else it's it, it's all going to happen quite naturally it's really it's fascinating i was chatting to a, um, a woman last week who used to be vegan um i've never met a, a less vegan person in my life <laughs> in many ways. and i said oh what happened why did you stop it's not for everyone and, and, I, and I get absolutely. that absolutely um and she said oh, i got ill and i was mm. like oh, how, how did you get ill and she said well i just wasn't eating the right things and i said well mm. are you cooking from scratch Oh, I don't cook. Mm. It's just mm-mm, in that way. Mm-mm, mm-mm, oh, 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 I don't cook. <laughs> okay, so you're placing the nutritional needs of your body in the hands of somebody mm. else. Mm. It's, it's never going to... And, and the, the interesting intonation was that she was too busy, mm. too important mm. to cook. Mm. I can't think of anything more important than what mm. goes into my mm. body. Mm. I can't. Mm. The thoughts that go into my head, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is possibly the one more one one thing that's more important. Yeah, and 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 those I think those two things are linked. But I'm really interested. You talked about the variation of food and um, colours, and I'm going to Dan Barber territory there, which is ace. What about gut bacteria? What about the biology of the body and its need for these things? Mm. Have you looked at this in detail? I haven't looked at it in detail, actually. I think, like a lot of my kind of... um, I don't want to call it philosophy around food, because it's not that. It's it's my instinct around food. And um, I'm not an academic around food at all. What thrills me is the process in the kitchen, is the kind of stories, you know, the personal stories around it, the relationships around food. And so I think... Um, you know, I haven't looked at it in detail, but I have made a lot of kombucha, I've made a lot of kefir, I've fermented a lot of stuff, and what I know is that I feel so much better when I'm including those things in my diet. Um, I get ill less, um, I generally feel like my digestion's better, I'm happier, I do feel like it is the one thing that the, the, the single thing that has had the biggest impact apart from cutting meat and fish out of my diet um, that has had the biggest impact on how I feel um, which, so yeah which also have a really big impact on your gut yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. there's an amazing book called Gut G-U-T yes, by yeah. Julia Enders yeah I've been you read it? No, I haven't, but, you know, as I say, toddlers and reading don't really go. No, no, <laughs> But I'm understood. up. I'm, but I'm, it's, it's a toilet book in every possible is sense. Is it? Of, oh, it teaches you how to poo differently. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's really light. Yeah. You can read it in the toilet. And yeah. I know the toilet is a place of great solace when yeah. you're probably <laughs> I know this for a fact. <laughs> and you should grab every minute of that, of that solace. I'm absolutely fascinated by where you go next. Oh, yeah, so am I, because I've never really had a plan. <laughs> what are you going to do next? Um, I am going to spend a bit more time with my family. I'm gonna, I've, I've been really working pretty hard for the last, you know, since I left university, 12, 14 years. Um, and I've loved every second of the ride, but I do feel like there's a there's a bit of a time for me to to just carve out a bit more time for my family and 
and a bit more calmness. But, you know, obviously I'm going to carry on writing my column. I've got another book in the works, which is going to come out in a couple of years' time. Um, yeah, and I think I'm, you know, a lot of my focus over the past, you know, six or seven years has been on on building something and on... I guess making money. Money's always been a bit of a driver for me at the same time as doing what I love, you know. Um, Why is that? Is that because of greed? Did you not have any as a kid? So I didn't have any. I think I'm just... I, I, I'm... I, I need to be self-sufficient. Okay. Um, and, and, well, that's and, interesting. That's self-sufficient as Anna yeah. rather than as yeah. Anna and Co. Is yeah, family. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I, I think that's come from, you know... A, a, a bit from 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 my parents and seeing my mum definitely had a reliance on my dad financially and just knowing that I never really not that that was in any way a bad thing but I think I just um, never really wanted to do that so so there's whilst there's this amazing work ethic and, and, and ambition and love for what I do I also very much want to build myself a, you know this thing it's just something I've always had and you that, will and you are yeah. and, and, and it's you know Okay, um, nearly 50, white, middle-class, veggie-loving person. <laughs> I don't know anyone that doesn't know in your books. <laughs> I don't know anyone whose first call isn't one of your books, <laughs> and they've got, like, no plan for the day. So you, like, a bit like David Gray, I mentioned earlier, <laughs> you've kind of got your way into every single dinner party in the UK. Oh, wow. Within my world. Oh. And, um, and your books are amazing. Um, and you do what you do in a way that is filled with joy and is a way, in a way that isn't preachy. And, you know, from cranks to Anna Jones. Without cranks, you wouldn't have Anna Jones, right? I mean, I'm the biggest fan of cranks. <coughs> Amazing. Yeah. Some of their dark recipes. <laughs> I'm still digesting them and I ate them in 1978. Okay, so like, that's not the kind of food that you do. You breathe fresh life and fresh air into vegetables and there's nothing more joyous. I had the best tomato I have ever eaten last week. Mm -hmm. And it's a tomato, it's Italian, it's grown on sand. Yes, the raf ones. Is it a raf? Seawater, is it that oh, Okay, one? yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck yeah, me. Yeah. It felt like it had been salted yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. I bought two, don't don't mock me. I bought two tomatoes Four pounds sixty. Yeah, yeah. I've bought those. I've Took bought those. Home. I'm with you. Yeah, and I had half between us each. Sorry, we yeah. were like, oh, we'll save this one for tomorrow. I get up the next morning, go out for my bike ride, come back in. Matilda's there. She sliced it, put it in a, in a, in a, in a sandwich box. She's taking it to college for the day. It's like, okay, I can't begrudge that, can yeah, I? Because if no, you can no. give the joy of great food to your family, mm, that's mm. the best thing yeah. you can give, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Anna, you, you're amazing. <laughs> I've really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so and much. And me too. And we'll yeah. do another one. We'll do another, we can't get it all into half an hour. Oh, I'm so up for another one. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I've got this lovely image of Anna writing love letters with food, edible kisses. And I think it is one of the kind of loveliest, kindest things you can give to somebody is, is great nutrition. And, you know, it's really complex. Food, our relationship with food is super complex. And making people happy by giving them things that aren't going to make them healthy, it's not enough anymore. It's just 
a treat isn't going to work in the long term. And everything in moderation, like understood. But, you know, we've, we've got so much bigger and our diabetes has got so much worse over the last 30 years that we've got to look at, at, at the way and, and what we're eating. And, and as the population continues to grow, where we get our, our calories and our protein from, is increasingly important. By the way, I don't know anybody who's ever been diagnosed as being protein deficient. In fact, there isn't anybody has ever been diagnosed as being protein deficient. So it's an interesting um, prop that um, many people that don't agree with vegetarianism kind of hold against them, which is it's just it's just silly. But what we eat and how we eat it is um, is super important. And and th- this isn't just about the food that we put in our mouth. That is like clearly important. It's how we eat. It's it's that finding time to sit at a table with the people that you love, and to and to break bread, to share food together. That's been replaced in many many ways by kind of on the hoof eating, the convenience of eating on the go. The, these are words that that they don't fill me with any happiness. I, I appreciate that that our lives are are such that we need to maybe graze and consume moving I, I i get that i i do it i'm i understand but i think it's really important to balance that with a sort of dedicated time with the people that that you love and to and to kind of almost create almost create like a like almost ceremonies or rituals around eating together and that's as much about the creativity and the preparation as anything else and I said it in the interview you've got to really look at what goes into your body because it, it, it keeps you alive longer or, or, or less long and um, and there's no better way than doing it yourself and I, I appreciate that's a privilege for some and I, I understand that actually um, bad food is cheaper than good food often and and, and we're all busy I, I, I get that but even if it's just one day a week find the time cook something from scratch Share it with people that you love. Smile, laugh. It's 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 really simple. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please feel free to share that. And um, and if you can think of anybody else that, that that you think fits the doing things better and doing better things, making things better and making better things, let me know. And there'll be another one soon. Thank you.